Now, when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other just like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right side and the goats he'll put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then to those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we as, see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not do anything to help you? Then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for the one least of this, you haven't done it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous ones will go into eternal life. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious God, phew. The last day of the year. Another year or closer to the day when you come take us home. We're here in your presence. We understand that it's not about what we do. What you do for us to see you coming. May this be time to open not only our eyes and ears, but to open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Todd and the staff that invited me to be here. I'm still kind of pinching myself. Is this for real? 
And how did it all happen? Because even, even six months ago, I couldn't even fathom that I'll be standing and speaking to the church of that then hope. And uh, of course, um, I have a question is, uh, how did it all happen? And the most important question, perhaps uh, for anyone, why? The question why is the question that we constantly ask ourselves. Ask ourselves. We ask, why me? Why now? And I think the question for any New Yorker is, why New York? I have to say that um, I already mentioned, it just happened that way. It just happened that Maestro Zork likes to text. Have you received text messages for Dr. Zork? It's, it's, it's three words at the time that about 30 lines. I don't know. <laughs> I think they teach at the Fuller Seminary how to write in paragraphs. I'm just guessing. It is, it is Pastor Todd who has a gift to sell last year's snow to a native Alaskan. You know what I'm talking about? If Pastor Todd has an eye on you, you're in trouble. You're going to be doing something. But more importantly, I think it's this community and this church that I discovered, it's Alex Espana who kind of half-jokingly says the most profound, philosophical, life-changing things. It is uh, Ricardo whom we discussed French movies on the lawn in the, the Central Park. It is Julian and Tomas and Chris who joined me finishing, uh, watching the finish of Tour de France right there in the Central Park. And I'm, and I'm standing looking at all these people. It's like, people, who are you? Little I knew that would be a gift for me now to call this place home. I didn't know how it happened. Why me? Why now? And why New York? And you start getting a feeling that, 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 that I'm very much in a on the theme of a surprise. It's a surprise to me. And I think the text that we heard today, it's a surprise. Sometimes life happens in such a way that we surprise ourselves. Why would I want to leave a warm Southern California where I like to ride my bicycle all year round and didn't mind at all to walk down on the roads um, ball parade in a t-shirt and now we have to live in the weather that goes from 59 to 7 in like three hours like it happened you know what i'm talking about last week oh my word it was funny the new yorkers would come to me and said wait until it gets cold when it gets cold and then it got to seven degrees everybody was working said it's cold it's cold it's like you tell me i lived in moscow for four years this is nothing Why New York when you have a Fifth Avenue, but you also have a 105th Street? Why New York when you can see the most luxurious buildings and you also take a subway at 3 o'clock in the morning? 
and discovered the life there. You have a pen handler singing the song that um, he wrote last night, and it starts, Billy Jane, and I go, I think I heard it before. <laughs> but apparently somebody stole that song from him. You've met the guy, I say. But also the same subway on F line on Sunday morning, sopranos Michael Imperioli with his guitar walks in and just sits down next to me. And my wife goes, don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything stupid. It's just a celebrity on the subway. This city of contrasts. It does something, as I said, it almost wants you to feel or to see the world in a different prism, as if, as if turning the time or changing the terms. I'm still pinching myself. What am I doing here? Surprised. But because it's New York, something tells me that this is just the beginning. Is it true? Yeah. And it never gets old. My favorite part so far, and I've been entertaining this. So when people knew, first of all, when, when I tell somebody we moved to New York, the first thing they say is what? How's New York? How's New York? It's the same as to answer, like, can you explain to me in 30 seconds, um, you know, string theory or quantum mechanics? Or, or, or really explain the meaning of Andy Warhol's art. I, we just went to MoMA um, two days ago, so I'm still heavily impressed. How can you explain New York? You can't explain New York over the phone. I don't think you can even explain New York in words. You understand New York with your skin. You feel, you live, you experience here. And that's the surprise that comes, that all of a sudden it's something that is, that is deeply connected, not only to my own feelings in, 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 in terms and imagination and worldviews, but I become connected to those who are around me. And because we're so limited on space, I cannot, I cannot help, but I'm connecting with others. And this is the surprise that never stops growing. And I think that's why New York inviting us. How's New York? I've learned how to answer that in one short description. When I walked into the subway, line one, I saw a man with a mustache like Salvador Dali. But the best part was that the man had a lampshade as his hat. That's New York. Please don't take pictures and post it anywhere. <laughs> That's not the way I wanted to be introduced. But this was not a surprise. You know what was surprising to me when I saw that? I don't know how many people fit in a train um, carriage. 40, 50? 
Not a single person gave even a second look. Like it was totally normal. Just like it was as common as a um, Target's uh, tote bag. And I'm standing like, am I the only one? And I'm looking at him. It wasn't Halloween, by the way. I thought maybe some, some, some Broadway production as a Beauty and the Beast is back. I don't know what's happening. But everyone was totally cool with that. And all of us wanted to come and ask him, man, how do you get that thing to stay on your hand? Surprise, surprise. To see something that you don't expect. A few years back, British theologian Inti Wright wrote a book, Surprised by Hope. And every time, and the first time I heard the name Church of the Advent Hope, I'm thinking of that book. And Inti Wright makes, makes a case that the biggest thing about Jesus' coming was the idea that completely turned the world upside down the idea that God, the creator of the universe, becomes a human one. This is something that we commemorate every year around the time of Christmas. This is the Advent season. We remember Jesus' coming. We remember Jesus' first coming. We prepare for second coming. What is really surprising in this story, because we know all the facts and the details but it sounds new to us every year. Why is it surprising? Because Jesus has this ability to enter our lives again and again and again. Even we get every detail in the facts and doctrines and theology, we get everything done, but he, Jesus still comes. And we are taken back. There was this uh, Old Testament prophet, Isaiah. His encounter with God, he, saw, he said, I saw the hem of his garment, like a little piece of clothes of God's. Uh, he, he thought he saw it in a temple, but the brightness of the glory was so overwhelming that he plopped on his face and said, woe to me. Theologians talk about this this awe of God, this, this term in Latin, um, mysterium tremendum, something that overwhelming, that's so big, so surprising. God comes into our lives and surprises us again and again. And we are closing this Advent season, realize that Jesus is going to do something. Jesus has this ability. And we start thinking about the second coming. And this is where Matthew gives the suspense of the genre. Because in the text that we heard today, Jesus is being asked his three questions. Imagine Alex Espana comes and says, okay, Yeshua, three questions. We're gonna start with the most, uh, what most people don't know about you. You pick. We already know that you were born from a virgin. We know that your dad was a carpenter. 
That's the last question, the third question I want to ask, the quick question. When is this going to end? When the world is going to end? We read this question and we think, why would you want the world to end? Because we need to understand the context. This is not a question of people who are enjoying their lives. This is the question of people who live in the oppression. This is the question of the Ukrainians who are rushing with their children to bomb shelters. This is the question of a naked 12-year-old girl in the subway at 3 o'clock in the morning that I saw a month ago. Because they want this world to end. And Jesus about to give with one of the most powerful sermons. Matthew uses five of these big speeches. We call them discourses. There are five of them. You know, everybody knows the first one. Can you guess what's the first one in Matthew? Sermon on the Mount. The, the, the last one is this discourse about the end of time. Because people don't want to be surprised. One of the things that people don't know about me and family knows, I don't like gifts. Don't give me birthday gifts or any kind of gift. I just don't like gifts. I don't know why. I don't like to be surprised. If I want to, if I want to be a gift, I like to surprise myself. I go and buy it. I have a friend who was a master of organizing surprise parties and surprise gifts. The most immaculate surprise parties that I've ever seen in my life. She would tell people, you know, like you do proper surprise party, like if you live in suburbia, you're supposed to park three blocks away and walk, right? So people don't see. So she would tell people to park three blocks away when she organizes surprise party so it wouldn't ruin the surprise. The only thing was that the surprise party was for her. Isn't that a great idea? When I organize my own surprise, you get all the benefits on your terms and on your time. Because this is what people want. Jesus tells us when we should be surprised. And this is kind of a little bit makes it into such a human nature because we want it on our time and on our term. Jesus, when are you going to come? Please tell us. And Jesus says, well, it is going to be a surprise. I just, sometimes it's just, not quite happy with Jesus' answers. Do you find yourself sometimes? It's just like, really, Jesus? You did not warn anybody about the first one. How did that work out for you? Just tell us when you come so we get ready. You know, like if somebody comes to your house, what do you do? They start cleaning. You know, like pull the couch out, find a few cones and the cushions. Like, he's like, why did we live in such a filth? And like, thank goodness somebody's coming to our house. <laughs> Jesus, tell us when you're coming. We'll clean it up. 
Why would you want to? Oh, it's because we want Jesus. But we want Jesus on our time and on our terms. Anne Lamont, one of my favorite Christian writers, well, I don't know, yeah, she's Christian, I suppose. She says, when you, your God hates the same people you hate, you just created an idol. We want God on our terms. We want domesticated Jesus. And this is what the shock, and this is what Matthew does. And we, we, we skip this, and, 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 and this is kind of subtle, and it is not at the same time. Because the gospel of Matthew is dedicated specifically to write to people who are expecting Jesus to come. Jewish people. If we have any doubt, in chapter 15, when a Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and asks for something, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm here only to save the lost sheep of Israel. I'm not here for you. I'm here for Matthew wants to make a case that Jesus is the Jewish through and through Messiah. Don't make any mistake. And we kind of go along with this until this very last parable that's being told in the Gospel of Matthew. At the end of this fifth discourse, Jesus brings this parable, uh, uh, Matthew brings this parable, and, and, and it changes and turns and inverts everything inside out. Because before thought, and, and Jews thought that the Jesus, is, is, Jesus is for Jews. And Jesus still starts in chapter 24, 25. This is the end of times, so and it will be worse calamities. We're going to get in the fig tree and the, and, and, and the unfaithful servant. We kind of get, we just feel maybe we can do something to prepare for Jesus coming. But then comes chapter 25. Come to, chapter 25 has three parables. One is the first one, is very important to the um, Seven day Adventist history. Um, I, my, my, my other life, I teach. Um, so the, the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church at Lassier University. So the, the parable of the ten virgins is, is, is a very interesting one because it, it shaped our church quite a bit. Maybe we'll, one day we'll have time to talk about it. But what was the parable? What was the notion with that surprise? What the element of surprise in this end time stories that Jesus tells? It starts with the surprise of time. When does the mid, um, you know, the, when does the groom come? And at midnight is surprising. Some people not prepared. There's this surprise of time. The second coming is, is going to happen in an unexpected time. And there's this second parable about the talents. Remember, somebody got uh, talents and, and five and, and, and ten, five, and then somebody got one. And the one talent, the guy just buried because he wanted to keep it on his terms. And the master returns, he just says, here's the talent. And the master is not happy. This is the most confusing text. I'll let somebody else who is above my pay grade, why Jesus says, those who have nothing is going to be taken. Those who have everything is going to be given more. We start feeling that Matthew is, is bringing Jesus to start messing with us a little bit. Things start inverting, turning upside down. And here comes the parable of the sheep and the goats. And first, from the first glimpse, we kind of think everything is clear because there's this judgment. And for Adventists, um, and, you know, you, we've been talking about judgment in the Sabbath school, um, you know, and very, what's, what's the most Adventist phrase that includes the word judgment? Investigative judgment. 
something is happening and we need you just to kind of work and see what's going to happen. But the story and what Matthew is doing here throws us off with the very first parable. Everything changes because Matthew says that the king sits down as metaphorically God and they're all nations. Just say old, all nations. All nations abroad. All nations abroad from God. If we read in the context, what does it mean, all nations? That Israelites, Christians, non-Christians. But if we read carefully the context of Matthew 20, um, of, of, of Matthew 24 and Matthew 28, all nations means that non-Christians, that everyone else, that people who are unexpected, that are now being brought, and all of a sudden, this is not a parable about the sheep and the goats. Of course, it's about sheep and the goats, but the main focus of the parable is not the sheep and the goats. It's about the shepherd or shepherds, if you will, because something happens here very, very subtle. By the way, Neither sheep or goats, like, they're surprised. They're not thinking about the second coming as something they're just going to come up and do. They're not preparing for it. They're surprised that they're on the right or on the left. They're asking questions. But what they surprise the most, that the focus of the parable is not to decide who is on the right and who is on the left. The focus is about the shepherds. And I say shepherds in plural because the one who tells the story identifies with the hungry and thirsty and broken and naked and imprisoned. All of a sudden, Jesus says, it's not only about who's on the right and who's on the left, but who's in front of you. And our shepherds becomes the one who were always marginalized and included. And Jesus says, do you realize when you see in them something, your shepherd is that person in the subway who lays across an appeal. Your shepherd is the one who is sitting on the beach chair in the summer particularly with the biggest cigar, our neighbor. Your shepherd is the person who walks in the door and say, I just need to be somewhere. Your shepherd is someone who gets off the bus at the Port Authority with nothing but a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, there is the address. Wrinkled, they were holding on to that because that's their hope. After coming in New York, and I realized something that I had been reading this parable wrong all along. Because when I peek over that person with the piece of paper that she's holding, I see the address. And I realized something that the name and the address on that piece of paper 
that she is holding as the last hope is mine. Yeah, it might say Bronx, it might say Michigan or Wisconsin. That's my name and my address. I don't like surprises like that. But there's nothing we can do. And it's very hard to comprehend and grasp this. And I think Jesus knows that. And I think Matthew knows that. But it's not about feeling guilty. That's why after chapter 25 and chapter 26, Jesus begins the passion journey. He's wearing the cross. And it says, I know it's hard to love the thirsty. It's hard to love the broken. It's hard to love the naked. It's hard to come and be with the sick or imprisoned. But if you read carefully the passion story, it's the story where Jesus becomes thirsty. When Jesus becomes in prison, when Jesus becomes broken, when Jesus stripped naked. And he says, this is why I became human. So now we can understand that when we do things, when we stop looking and deciding who's on the right and the left, but to pay attention who is in front of us right now, we become the people of the second coming. And that story changes and inverts, and just like that, we switch from Christmas and start preparing for Easter. And this is the beauty and the power of a Christian story. When we know all the details, but Jesus comes surprising again and again, because that's what he does. After being in New York and experiencing and seeing all of this, I couldn't help. But I think I, I became a little irrever irreverent, just like New York is. Because when I get over my initial shock of getting in heaven, I would like to go and ask questions, not Moses and Miriam, as much as it would be cool to talk to them, or David or Deborah, not even St. Augustine or St. Teresa. You know who I want to find in heaven? I want to find the guy who had the lampshade for a hat and ask, how in heaven do you keep it stay on?